Welcome to the Old Chick Snowship Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. This podcast is dedicated to helping midlife women step into the inherent power and wisdom of a time of life when they often feel overlooked and underrepresented and even begin to doubt themselves. Each week, we will cover information and inspirational topics along with real stories from real women who are defying cultural stereotypes and perceptions of midlife. Women who are reinventing themselves, starting businesses, chasing their dreams, and tackling challenges they never thought possible. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Old Chick Snowship podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about something that's kind of near and dear to my heart and also a big part of my life right now. And with me, I have Karen Gordon, who is a gerontologist, so specializing in the care of the elderly. She's also a social worker. She's a case manager, so she's actively in there helping older people manage their care. And she's a yoga teacher and a real estate agent. And she has combined all of these things into a really comprehensive practice that not only supports the elderly who are requiring the care, but has also a massive support system for those of us who find ourselves in that position of having to care for elderly parents. So welcome, Karen. I am so happy to have you join us. I think this is such a good conversation because I was having a conversation with somebody the other day about being the sandwich generation. So the fact that, you know, we as women, and most of us know that the care of everybody (laughs) falls Mm -hmm. to us as women. So our kids, as well as our parents, as they age. And while we're also in the middle of kind of navigating our own midlife shifts. And, you know, I'm not still managing my kid because she's gone. And I know that I find it tough sometimes trying to keep up with the demands of what's required, you know, from my elderly father and then kind of what I've got on my plate. So having add kids in the mix of that, it must be so huge. So I would love for you to tell us a little bit about what you do, like in terms of how you support Mm -hmm. the elderly as well as their support system. And then I have a whole bunch of questions that I'm curious about. So I'm sure that people (laughs) who are listening are curious about. So yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you pull this all together. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for wanting to hear and discuss this topic. I think that one of the prevailing challenges of society is the resistance to looking at our own aging and mortality and then Mm. reacting to it again from a space of resistance rather than embracing what we have to work with. And in my work with clients, individuals and families, my hope is that I can always be helping them shift that perspective and to be able to create a narrative that allows them to engage in a more productive outcome than perhaps they're on if they're in a more negative or resistant state Mm. or reactive state to things that are happening rather than being open to the conversation so that proactive measures can be taken to perhaps avoid some of the crises that can come along the way in the path of aging. I work with families and individuals to, I do a multitude of things. I work with the older adults themselves to be someone who can advocate on their behalf if and when needed to right now, what's presenting itself mostly to me are families reaching out who want me to be visiting with their elderly Mm -hmm. parents who have been isolated, especially now during the pandemic, not only isolated yet. What I also find is, and this is my personal opinion is what I find is that this is a generation when we're looking at people in their age 
80s and 90s who are of an era where the news was fact, not fiction. And there's this person. And so and this is the audience that's listening to the news all day long. And for me to have an 87 year old female client say to me, this is the most terrified she's ever felt in her entire life is painful for me to hear those words come out of her mouth. I mean, I'm thinking, first of all, think about the history an 87 year old has lived through. Some significant historical events have happened in this person's life. And yet she's framing this moment as the most terrifying. And that that to me speaks volumes about where her mindset is and coupled with being isolated and not even to be comforted by gatherings of friends, peers, church, family, whatever that looks like for them. So that's what's presenting itself right now mostly to me is Families are incredibly grateful that I am willing to go into people's homes. We practice distancing. We follow the guidelines that are recommended. And yet we are able to engage. And it's been an incredible gift for me and for the people that I've been able to meet with in terms of our ability to have that interaction. And then there are the kids of those families, many of whom don't live in town or who don't have the the kind of availability that would be necessary to make the kind of visits that I can make because, to your point, they're sandwiched. They have their own careers, they have their own lives and their own families, and there simply isn't always enough of each of us to go around. And when I can fill those gaps in for those adult children, it's a really, it's another gift, both for me and for them to be able to fulfill that role. And there are many clients who don't have children or a village to support them. And it's their doctor who reaches out to me and, and the, or the nurse at the doctor's office who knows about me and calls me and says, this person is suffering from severe grief over the loss of a spouse. You know, can you, how can you potentially help this person? So I'm very, very grateful to be able to work both with the, the older adult population that needs the kind of support I can give them for their own mental health and stability. And then I'm also very grateful to be able to work with those family members who are dealing with the transitions that come with aging. So if their family member, if their loved one is declining physically or cognitively, that's a loss. That's a change. That's going to be a huge shift in that relationship. And even spouses have reached out to me and said, I need I need help. I I feel so guilty. I don't sleep at night because my wife has dementia. We've been married 60 plus years and I lose patience with her when she asks me the same question 17 times. And they're looking, they I mean, these kinds of things need to, they get to be processed so that we can work through those emotions that come with it. We're talking about a lot of heavy stuff that people are going through. Yeah. Yeah. It's, wow. You, you you just like you just talked about so much amazing things. So first of all, like I'm just gonna go through them my memory. First of yeah. all, the point that you mentioned about like especially in this day, in this time that we're experiencing in the middle of COVID-19, um, in October of 2020, you know, the fear that is coming from this group of people who are the most susceptible. And that is the thing that the news keeps serving up to us over. And it's true, and it is true, mm-hmm. they are susceptible. But the amount of fear, and I know this because like my my dad will literally watch CNN morning till night, right? And to your mm-hmm. point, and I you made a really, really good point that it's a generation of people where news was fact. It's not like the internet age where right now anything 
Right. Like anything, but they, they actually take what they hear as fact. How do you help them to manage that fear? Well, <laughs> I, like, or, I or, I... or is it a conversation that you even have with them? It is a conversation because I love, love asking. I love being in a position to ask questions that have people reflect. So, you know, back in the day, it was Walter Cronkite. Peter Jennings and Tom Brokaw, maybe I'm aging myself, but that's who comes to mind for me. <laughs> I'm with and when you. <laughs> they, <laughs> and when they said, this is the state of the world and good night, that was the state of the world and good night. You know, it, you weren't going to hear a hundred opinions from a hundred different commentators or go on social media and, and find the groups that are, you know, preaching to the choir that you want to listen to. So I love shifting the conversation from this current state of chaos that we're in and really having them reflect on a time that for most of them brings much more contentment, much okay. more of a feeling of being at ease with, not that the world was easy, not that the news was always good. And yet a sense of, I don't know, structure or a framework within which you could operate and feel that things were okay. Whereas nowadays there's just this constant poking of the bear. I feel like there's always yeah. fear to be stoked somewhere. Yeah. And they, and on that, this kind of fear that is being imposed upon, especially our most vulnerable population, which is our elderly population is not healthy. I mean, it's, it's affecting, obviously we know the correlation between mental and physical health. And if they are mentally feeling fearful and panic stricken, that is absolutely going to impact exactly. their physical well-being. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then the other thing that you mentioned, which, so here's my, let me just say this. Here's my question in a situation where and I'm going to say this loosely, the child becomes the parent, right? So for example, I am now like sometimes having to make decisions for my dad or giving him a level of care that like I wouldn't normally do. Mm -hmm. And it makes for a kind of a strange dynamic sometimes where, you know, like I'm kind of taking the parent role and he's trying to taking the child role a little bit, which I find very difficult to navigate. And I know he does too, because it's kind of a, a reverse of or switch of roles that we're not used to. And so it's difficult for me because I'm not sure how to navigate it. And it's difficult for him because he's been, you know, the dad, the caretaker, the, you know, for, for that position in his life. And now I'm kind of filling in for that. How do you counsel both caregivers and mm -hmm. the elderly, like how to navigate, to navigate that, that dynamic shift in the relationship? If I'm able to, the greatest gift I can offer is to have that family member, such as a daughter or son, go wife, husband, allow that family member through my, I'll use intervention, yet intervention isn't quite the right word. My presence, my hope is that my presence allows that family member to recapture the, the relationship of being a daughter again. In other words, mm, yes you know, like, I want you to be able to be a daughter. So are there some tough conversations that get to happen that could be mitigated by my presence and my facilitation of the conversation? Then please, by all means, allow me to be that extra voice in the room that's a neutral third party that can buffer some of those moments that would otherwise be potentially awkward between a parent mm -hmm. and child. And that can come from me talking one-on-one -on -one to the family member, which is often how it goes. And then me going and talking to the parent and having those conversations. And oftentimes it's a matter of the 
both parties or all parties being able to process these feelings and talk openly about them. And that can be incredibly challenging to do you know, one-on-one. It's not exactly the conversation you're just going to open up with your parent when you're discussing certain topics that triggers real intense emotions. I am someone who can, what I love to do is invite people to the conversation after already having gotten some kind of foundation of where both people or where all parties are coming from and try to bring together a conversation that is comfortable and for everybody, it can it, it's yeah. a it's a conversation that then becomes less amplified in terms of our emotional triggers because you've got me, hopefully, ideally, to be that impartial person who can reframe, help the dialogue maybe be shaped in such a way that that the feelings are that everyone's feelings are protected and, and emotional stability is you know maintained throughout rather than the high frequency craziness that can sometimes come into play within family systems. Yeah. And, you know, like in terms of a practical example, like one of the things like my dad is struggling with now and he's 86 um, is Mm -hmm. whether to give up driving. Right. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, I mean, I, I understand why he does not want to give up driving. It's his last you know, kind right. of uh, right of freedom or independence. But yet, at yes. the same token, it scares the crap out of me that he's actually out there driving sometimes. Yes. Like, yes. And, yes. and I, I, do, I will never want to be the person who says, Dad, you can't drive anymore. Right? right. Like I exactly. And so I feel like having a person like you at the table would be able to help navigate that conversation mm-hmm. a little bit, because again, it feels yes. really disrespectful for me, you know, and, and I think all of us were kind of brought up in an in an era where we respected our parents, like, you know, what they said went, maybe it's a little bit different now, because I don't think it's quite the same dynamic. (laughs) But yeah, like, we had ultimate respect for our parents and what they said. And, you know, and for me, that's like a really difficult thing. um, Yes. To stay in dad, I don't think you should be driving anymore. Yes. And full disclosure, I too, the adult child of parents who are aging, and I when I'm speaking, I would never want what I'm saying to me mistaken as easy. Nothing I'm saying Mm -hmm. is easy. However, when I'm not the family member, I'm in a position to have to be that facilitator that that can make the conversation easier. I can tell you honestly, from my own experience and going through what I, you know, my life as situations arise with my own parents, I can assure you that as the daughter, <laughs> I'm challenged too. And I'm, I'm right. thinking, gee, I have all these tools in my toolbox <laughs> and they work when I use them w- with others, but now I'm the daughter, I'm the daughter. And it's really quite challenging. So I want people to know that when there are, is a sense of being overwhelmed or a sense of feeling like this is insurmountable, those are feelings to be acknowledged and affirmed because they're real. And that is the experience. And what I hope I can do for those that I serve is to help them know that that it is that we can get through this and we will move through it and dissolve whatever those barriers are that would have us not getting to wherever it is we think we want to get to be able to have an open mind that that allows us to see that an outcome, while it may not be what we thought it was going to be, is perfect as it is and to be accepting of, you know, new ways of thinking about things. And I think often in my conversations with people, that's the best thing I can offer them is to be a reminder that everything isn't necessarily one way or the other. There's all sorts Mm -hmm. of other space to explore. 
And especially in the world of family dynamics, there can be a hard stop right there if there's a louder voice in the room that says, nope, 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 not considering that because this is what we want. You know, and and I'm not shy about inviting people, encouraging people, doing what I can to to offer another perspective that can be considered along the way that can really change the trajectory of the path that they're on. Right. Right. Yeah. It's such an interesting dynamic shift. Yeah, it, it really but, is. And, and you're right. Like, and there's so much, like we have so much history <laughs> with our parents as well too, that like from yes. an emotional trigger standpoint, like there are times where I feel incredibly, and I hate to say this, but I'm going to be super honest. I feel incredibly resentful that I have to go drive to my dad's house because he needs help when I've got like all of this other stuff on my plate that I'm trying to juggle. And then, right. then of course, feeling guilty for feeling resentful because <laughs> as we're we so women, so yes. we're so apt to do, right? Yes. And then, yes. and that's trying to manage. So there's that whole barrage of feelings that's coming into it. And then at the same time where you're trying to, you know, be as supportive and as helpful as you can to somebody you love that needs your help. Yes. And so like, there are days where I'm just like, oh my God, this just feels like a lot. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it, and it is a lot. And I'm, and I want to acknowledge that because I think it's so, we are so quick to dismiss ourselves. We're so quick to dismiss our own interpretation of what's going on. Whereas, you know, darn well, that if your friend said it to you, you'd say, oh my gosh, that's you're, you're really carrying a big load. But when it's yourself, for some reason, we can dismiss it as if, you know, we're not doing enough when in fact, we're, we're doing more than maybe the average person would be doing in the same situation. (laughs) And the driving is a huge one. And, you know, there's very few concrete answers, except to say that, you know, if a doctor can write a script, or you can go through the, the whole ritual of there are driving schools that will, you know, some of the local hospitals will take you through a driving evaluation and it's painful. I mean, we're not looking to punish and it's not meant, yeah. it's never intended to be a punishment. And yet when you can show someone concretely why they're the, the, this is not going to continue, like driving is going to cease talking about reaction times in, you know, a lot of, again, we're our own, often our own worst historians and reporters about our own ways of being. And so reminding someone that, hey, I mean, even in my 50s, my reaction time when I'm driving is different than it was when I was in my 20s. And when you're in your 80s, it changes. So it's all, we're ever evolving beings. And there is true reason why at some point it is not safe for some to be on the road anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, like that, like in the case of my dad, for example, he's cognitively, well, he's probably way smarter than I am, but I know he is. <laughs> I <laughs> <But> can relate. <laughs> <Yeah>. Physically, <laughs> you know, that he has some, uh, he has a degenerative spine condition, which impacts the use of his legs. So, you know, the thought of him moving his leg from the gas to the brake in enough time to be able to, right. Yeah. So having that conversation with him feels really difficult because like, he's like, well, why shouldn't I, you know what I mean? Although right. I think he does understand it, but he's struggling with the, like this thing that I have to give up. Right. Yeah, like absolutely. it's a loss. Like it's, it, I, I feel it for him. Like I really feel it for him because yes. life is changing and he's struggling yes. with it as much as I am. Yes. So is he. Yes. And I yes. think that's also true. And you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, just in terms of, you know, things are changing on both sides of it and yes. being able to be aware that mm-hmm. what they're feeling and what you're feeling to help manage the frustration on both sides that can naturally kind yes. of come up. 
in that yes. and that type of situation. Yes, especially during the the circumstances now where I have, you know, the older adult client will say to me, you know, well, I'm they're feeling they are understandably feeling isolated because they are home and their children are again to your point of role reversal, they're being told by their adult children don't leave the house or you're allowed to go to one place yeah. and that's it, you know, or they give them a list of two or three places. But even that comes with, you know, significant restrictions. And so they're feeling imposed, their freedoms feel understandably imposed upon. And that is, it's everything is feeling compounded right now in terms <laughs> of the losses and the, you know, I had um, one gentleman really express just almost a sense of, a despair because, you know, for part of the population, there's another side to this pandemic and, oh, what's it going to look like in the future? You know, we're talking about a generation of people who are have embarked on what is potentially the last chapter of their lives, which we don't have a crystal ball. And for them to feel so restricted and to not be able to be with their loved ones in the way that they would normally, that they've enjoyed for their entire life, it's it's understandable why there would be a sense of hopelessness or despair. And again, I'm here. I wish I had a magic answer. I'm not here to pretend like everything's going to be rosy tomorrow, but I'm here to be a reminder that there is hope and that we can shift the narrative and continue to hone our own skills in shifting the narrative to a space of gratitude rather than a space of feeling uh, that like the sky is falling all the time. Right. Yeah. I was reading an article a while ago about, and I'm sure you've known about this, the blue zones where people routinely live to be over a hundred. Have you heard of mm. those? Mm -mm. There's these pockets of communities around the world, like one's in Costa Rica, one's in Italy. I think there's one in Japan. And so there, these are places where people routinely live to be over a hundred and like active part of life. And so they studied this, these people to see kind of what was the, the criteria, the factors that helped these people, you know, live like very healthy lives into their hundreds. And like one of them was a sense of purpose. So having yes. a reason to get up and go. The second one was exercise so that they were busy. They were constantly moving. But the third one, which was most important, and it was the biggest deciding factor was community. And what would happen is in these towns and villages, people like the elderly folks would all come to the table around dinner time. So it would be all generations of families together around the dinner time. And when I read it, it just struck me as being so contrary to our culture in North America, where there's kind of a family unit, and then there's an elderly person who might be in a home or living on their own. Right. And we've lost, and I think losing that sense of community, I can only imagine, must feel incredibly isolating. Because like if, you, if you're an elderly person and you're with your great grandkids or your grandkids mm -hmm. and there's lots of commotion and activity, like that's exciting for you. That's yes. like, you know, distracting you from the fact that maybe you have a pain in your back or maybe, right. you know, your, mm -hmm. your legs don't work like they used to or, or whatever right. that is. Absolutely. And so, you know, when you talk about this now, like this whole place that we're in where loneliness, you know, maybe they're not getting the visits or, or for God forbid, they're in a hospital or in a home where people can't go in. Exactly. Like exactly. that's tragic. Like for me, I just find that so tragic. Yes. And that speaks to so much of what I am asked, called upon to do when people call me and they say, look, you know, something has happened whereby their parent can no longer live in their home and they they need to relocate they need to place them somewhere where they'll their ongoing their current and ongoing needs will be met and so and 
so often that has looked like these adult senior communities, which were Mm -hmm. envisioned to be these wonderful places where engagement and peer interaction would continue forever. And, And ideally, in an ideal world, that's what those communities can look like. However, the reality is that's a fantasy right now. I mean, we're, it's not, that's not the reality of what it looks like in those communities right now because of the pandemic and because there's of the, the prolonged isolation that's been put upon us. And so what I've actually, my relationships with small group homeowners have become much more highlighted during this time where I, if I can connect the dots so that a family can place a loved one in a, they're considered adult foster care. That's what they're called here in Michigan. I think there's far better names to be found for the work, but the point is that these are small homes where typically there's a license for up to six people to live. And, you know, it can be a really wonderful alternative for Mm. older adults because now they're living in a home setting it's a home. So it's a home-like setting where there's only a few other people. They have their privacy of their own room, and yet they have the the warmth of, of, of an inviting home that they're a part of right. what you could call their new-ish family. And so, yeah. and which is also much better for families who currently will have much greater access and not they're going to have far greater access in that environment than they will going through the bureaucracy and red tape of a corporate structure that says, no, no visitors. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So many things have changed in such a short amount of time in the work that I do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, well, everything, everything is changing so rapidly these days. Yes. Talk to me a little bit about grief. So you mentioned that, so grief, I mean, we can all understand it related to the loss of a loved one, but you know, I'm imagining too, there must be a sense of grief for the loss of being part of a community or being part of a family or the loss of, you know, your regular activities, like for the elder, for the elder Mm -hmm. people. And then even for the caregivers, like loss of the parents, even though they're still physically here, maybe you have a parent who's suffering with dementia and who is not there. Like, like, how do you counsel people or how do you talk to people about grief and navigating that in those circumstances? Well, I thank you for touching on that because it is such an incredibly important part of this conversation. And it's one that I've talked about for years is that exactly to reference what you said, that when you're losing someone cognitively, you're almost experiencing the grief as it's happening, if you will. Mm-hmm. You're, you're yeah. almost going through it as you are experiencing the loss. And it, whereas for the person, and that person isn't experiencing it, for better or for worse, their, their experience we don't know what their experience is. I can't get in their head, but I know that what we're dealing with is it's, it takes role reversal to an exponentially higher level because now we're being asked or in some cases forced to make decisions that again, to the point of role reversal that we never thought or intended to be making on behalf of the person who always made the decisions on their own behalf or for us. So looking at that grief is important. And then of course, the grief when the when the person themselves, when that person, him or herself can recognize or is experiencing their own physical decline, then you're talking about the double whammy of not only the person knowing that they're losing their own 
identity as who they've always known themselves to be. They're also having family members who are experiencing their transition right in front of them and which can be incredibly difficult to grapple with. And so again, I go back to the the basics. I mean, you know, yes, are there different interventions and different modalities that you can look to and utilize to work, process the grief? Yes. And will I employ those tools as appropriate? Yes. In general, though, I so often find that we, you know, the phrase, just keep it simple. So often people feel better when they're heard, when they know mm. that there's someone to hear their ex yes. be a witness to their experience, yes. be a witness with no judgment. You know, we're talking about being an impartial observer and set of ears to listen and hear what the experience is that they're having. You know, we, as you mentioned, and I'm sure most people listening here know, we live in this unbelievably fast paced world. This is probably the longest I've been in a conversation all day today. <laughs> we're, you know, and yeah. so how often do we really hear others and how often do we ourselves feel heard by others? Mm. And that in and of itself can be quite stunning in the way it can mitigate the intensity of those feelings around loss is knowing that someone's heard you express it and process it. And so often the tears come and especially with an older generation, boy, do they want to push those back? Oh, my, there's, they so often shame is correlated with those mm. tears. And I yeah. encourage them that this is, we are human beings. We're such a messy species. We were wired to have this catharsis, this crying to be a healing part of our experience. Yeah. And yet without that, openness to that and constantly suppressing those emotions where once again, it's going to manifest in, in things that show up as unhealthy, that we're not going to feel good. We're going to yeah. have all sorts of other symptoms. Wow. That is so, yeah, that just really struck me what you said about, you know, coming from a generation where showing emotion wasn't acceptable. And I can imagine, yeah, having to hold that, hold all of that in. I mean, that takes an immense amount of energy like, to yes. hold in. Yes, it does. Yes, <laughs> yeah. it does. I mean, any one yes. of us who's ever tried to suppress their emotions knows. And I hadn't really thought about it in that context. Like I've even wanted to have a conversation and I've pulled myself back from it, you know, where like to ask my dad, you know, if he's written down his burial wishes or what he'd like his funeral to be like. And I pull back from it because I'm like, oh God, I don't even want to go there. Right. But by the same token, it might be very cathartic for him to have that yes. conversation. Yes. And helpful for you. I mean, if you can have that conversation, kudos. Cause it's, again, I get it. It's most people don't just open Blurred. up this conversation <laughs> with their blurted parents. Blurted out one day over right. dinner. <laughs> right, exactly. And again, one of the ways that I frame this to families is I like to, again, refer to it as a gift. The conversation is a gift you are giving your children by being open to a conversation mm -hmm. that informs them of your wishes. Wouldn't you, I think most people when they are in their lucid right mind would much rather choose to state their wishes so that especially those of us who have kids and, and we want to unburden them. So by yeah. giving us information and informing us of your wishes, you're unburdening yourself and you're unburdening them because when you're gone, rather than fighting about what you would have wanted or might have wanted and leaving people with residual potential guilt for the rest of their lives, you're saying, no, this is what I want. And you're giving us the gift of saying, 
okay, all we need to do is carry it out when the yeah. time comes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That's so good. And like one of the other like true joys of my life has been watching my daughter sit with my dad and like him sharing stuff like you know, sharing stories from the past or from his childhood or, you know, his yes. experiences of life with her and her just like literally sitting there and taking it all in. Like that interaction yes. is so beautiful. And I'm so yes. glad that, you know, she didn't always have that much of a relationship with him, but in the last few years, she really has. And yes. it's like, again, it's just like you said is, you know, being able to sit and listen, just listen to yes. their stories, listen to their experiences. And, you know, even, you know, to get to the point of listening to their fears and their concerns. Yes. So, yes. so important. Thank you yes. for that. Actually, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to muster up a little more courage in that department. <laughs> I'm here myself. anytime. <laughs> yeah. So a couple more things just sure. quickly, because I know we've been talking about this for a while. How do you incorporate the yoga teaching part of your business into what you do? Like, I'm very fascinated by that. Thank you for asking. Well, and I'm so happy to say that I just got back. What I did this afternoon was yoga with my 91-year-old client. We meet twice a week. Nice. We. I'm so proud to tell you that it is, again, such an honor and privilege to be invited or welcomed into people's lives to expose them to something they may never have considered a possibility for them. So here, I'm able to take the yoga training that I've had and adapt it in ways that make sense for the population I'm working with. So in this specific case, my this gentleman is 91 years old, sharp as a tack, sharper than me for sure. <laughs> and physically though, has been quite weak and has not for any organic reason except the aging process. And since we've been practicing together, he has made such strides. We in his gait, his balance, and his strength, especially in his legs, he has had he has experienced such strength and such gains and such improvement today. So what has evolved is from, we've gone from the chair. He sits in his wheelchair for part of our practice, and then we get up and we go to the wall, and there's a handrail, and I adapt the movements so that the wall is always supporting us, and yet we're able to go into modifications of yoga poses and hold those poses in a way that is very empowering and strengthening. And we do breathing exercises together. And again, it's a, it's, it allows you to engage in a level of contentment that you don't necessarily access unless you take the kind of time that we take to mm. access it, you know, through that mindful movement and through that time spent together, because we talk, we get to know each other on another level through the movement, through the time we spend together. And I, I love, I absolutely love it. And the, the, he lives in, in actually in one of those smaller group homes that I mentioned. And the staff has told me that they're amazed at what they've seen in terms of his ability to get up on his own. He needs less assistance. Again, his balance has improved tremendously so that he's able to even take some steps. You know, he'll use a walker where he doesn't always have to use the wheelchair. And so it's incredibly fulfilling for me and even more so for him to recognize that he still is as a viable person who it's also great right. to show yourself that you're always capable of improving and getting better at something, even when you try it at 91. You yeah, know? that's amazing. That is so good. Yeah, I would. Uh, yeah, that is so good. So yeah. amazing. I can't wait till we can get back to the place of social gatherings so that I can offer this. I mean, there's lots of 
communities that uh, senior living communities that offer chair yoga and mm -hmm. other sorts of therapeutic modalities that and again because of the pandemic so much of that has been cut off you know so that disconnect is not i'm so yeah. grateful to still be able to reach people even on an individual basis and i look forward to when i can do it in a group setting and i do it via zoom now and again, though, the generation that I'm mostly working with, this demographic, they're not the ones I'm reaching on Zoom necessarily. Yeah, yeah. I, can <laughs> I can understand that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just before we wrap up, then, if you had kind of three pieces of advice to give our listeners who might find themselves in this place of, you know, trying to navigate their own lives, but also be you know, a good support system for their aging parent? Like what are kind of the three pieces of advice that you would, would give? So I'll preface it by saying it, I don't think it's rocket science. And yet I hope that I can be, again, that messenger that reminds whoever's listening that number one, at the times you feel the most alone, those are the times to really access that strength inside of you that has you reach out to a friend a colleague, someone to, mm -hmm. to share or maybe glean some insight into their experience. This might be someone who you know has gone through a similar experience or is experiencing that. I, I want to remind people that when you feel as alone as these situations can, can have you feel, I'm here to tell you as someone who's in the trenches, you are not alone. You are not alone. And I am part of a national organization called the Aging Life Care Association, ALCA. It's actually, it's international. And we are life, we are care managers that are placed, we all have different levels of, of varying degrees of uh, expertise and knowledge and special areas of special interest. And yet we're all here for the same purpose, which is to support individuals and families on the aging process, on the, the path of aging. And when you feel that things are insurmountable and overwhelming to rather than being furious at yourself, be curious and really be open to yourself about the fact that you are entitled to feel the way you're feeling without shaming yourself for it. We, mm, it yes. You know, we get overwhelmed and it's, it's real, it's real. And I think again, to remind yourself to show some self-compassion, and rather than dismissing yourself outright in a way that you would never do to a friend, you know, or someone you care about to really acknowledge yourself for where you're at and where you've been and where you're going and to really stand in that space of power instead of mm. giving into the negative self-talk that would take you down. Yeah. And the other thing I would um, add to that, which I have started doing myself, is to ask for help. Good gosh, we're so bad at that. You know, like when I'm oh, feeling overwhelmed yeah. and, you know, my dad needs something, it's like, can I ask somebody else to do that for me? Or can I ask yes. somebody to do something else that I have on my plate so that I can go do that thing? Yes, yes. Yeah, because yes. it takes and a village. It, <laughs> it takes, takes a village. A village. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. I say it all the time. You know, we always, it's usually framed in the context of raising children. And yes, while that's true, it is in the context of raising a family. Yes. And a family is the whole spectrum everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, so, so good. This has been amazing. Where can people find out more about you and the services that you provide? Oh, thank you. I, my website is Karen Faith, LLC. 
Um, okay. My name is Karen, K-A-R-E-N. My middle name is Faith, F-A-I-T-H. Okay. And I decided to create something whereby I could take these years of knowledge and experience and new and old skill sets and put them all together in one place. And Amazing. that's where you have it, Karen Faith. Okay, well, we'll make sure to put the link to your website um, Thank you. in our show notes. And uh, yeah, I mean, if people have questions or are looking for support, yeah, I encourage you guys to uh, reach out to Karen. Please, I welcome all inquiries all the time because I often say that if I don't have the answer, the chances are that I can reach out to someone who does. I feel very proud of the relationships that have been cultivated through the work that I've done, and I'm very passionate about it, and I love it, and I love helping people. So thank you, Jen, for having me on your podcast. By the way, Old Chicks No Shit is about the best title I've heard in ever. <laughs> Just thank ever. you. Because we do know some shit, right? <laughs> we do. For gosh sakes. Yes, yeah. we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we get thank- to be reminders to each other that we know stuff. That's exactly yes. it. And that's why I love to have guests like you on the show, because there's a lot that we all know and need to be sharing with each other. So. Absolutely. That's the number one thing. Let's share with each other. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. So thank you thank for you. spending this time with me today. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank okay. you. Thank you for listening to the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend, subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen in.